Hey guys, it's Q&A Tuesday. Uh, I received another gift, uh, a gift that I appreciate very much. And the note with the gift says, Roman, just a small token appreciation for your awesome customer service and to add to your collection. And it has been great. If you're ever in Costa Rica, look me up. You guys know how I feel about military and law enforcement and I will publicly show my support for local enforcements all over the world and a lot of gifts such as this have made it into my office along with some old police badges and, and coins and things of that nature. And Carlos sent me and hold on, I have to be able to, I have to be able to read this. International Narcotics and Law Enforcement, United States Department of States coin. And this is absolutely awesome. Carlos works for the International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs. Carlos, thank you so much. Uh, this is going to go to my cover where I have lots of coins of that nature, which I cherish very, very much. So thank you so much for your gift, and I hope you enjoy your purchase. Here's a really good one from Paulo. Roman, thanks for giving us such valuable info on all things watches. I've been looking for alternatives for stainless steel Rolex sports models and even looked at getting the new OP41 millimeter as an option. I've tried various ADs in various countries and every time I ask for a GMT or Samaritan, I'm met with a reaction as if I was asking to buy a winning lottery ticket. You didn't get even the new OP is not available. This week I went to a Rolex boutique and I tried my luck again. This time they had a 11613LB, a two-tone Submariner with a blue face and a blue bezel. My suggestion is that anyone watching your video should always try to visit ADs and look at watches in person. Never considered this watch before, but it is stunning and looks so different on the wrist. Would buy this at list any day rather than a GMT at a premium. Regards, Paula. And I talked about this, and I'm glad you bring up this point, Paolo, is pictures always don't do a watch justice, right? Two-tone has gotten a bad rep over the years as being, eh, neither here or there. It's neither gold, it's neither steel, it's an awkward-looking watch. Although, there are lots of two-tone pieces out there that are absolutely beautiful. Case in point, the two-tone sub. I like the two-tone Yachtmaster too as well. I think it's a beautiful watch. The blue two-tone Submariner is like a token piece, if you ask me. It has been for quite a long time, and the fact that there's not that great a hype surrounding that just yet, you wait. I have a strong feeling that two-tone is gonna make a, I don't wanna say a comeback. Don't call it a comeback! But I think it's gonna make a pretty strong move in the future, and you're gonna see a lot of these two-tone things trading through the roof just the same. But the main point you made I absolutely love is don't knock it until you try it. And guess what? When I originally started Luxury Bazaar going back 18 years, one of the things I quickly realized is that one thing I need to do, no matter what, no matter how much it might hurt, or I may get returns that I don't want, is to have a seven day no questions asked return policy. Why? You stay classy. Because not everybody has the opportunity to go visit an AD depending on where you are in the world, right? Not everybody has an opportunity to try something on. So, you know, I always said to my clients that, look, buy it. If you don't like it, put it back in the box. I don't care if your cat doesn't like you, your next door neighbor or your wife. You send it back, no questions asked. Hence, giving somebody an opportunity that may not have an opportunity that you have to walk in somewhere and actually try something on. Of course, there is a caveat with all this, right? If somebody wants to order a particular watch that I don't have in stock and it's a special order, I will warn them that, hey, you will not be able to return this particular watch. What? You son of a... For the most part, the majority of the stuff is returnable. I didn't get as crazy as to say, order any watch, you know, have somebody order a Skyman Turbion for a million bucks, try it on and return it to me, not something I'm gonna go for, obviously. We do that just for that very same reason. And again, just because you may not necessarily like something on a picture or, or something may not necessarily be popular, sometimes when you see something in person, you tend to fall in love right away, like in the case of Paula. So Paula, thanks for that. Question from Angel Roman, first of all, Thank you for reaching out to my prior email inquiries. Please keep up the good work. And as a customer of yours now, thank you. 
I have to say that Adrian took very good care of me in getting me my new white ceramic Daytona. I had another thought for you on the next Q&A with regards to GPS Daytona that you had on the show. I was watching the video you did with Bob Marin, and something popped into my head. I know Bob said that Rolex put all of these special touches on your watch, but I was wondering in your opinion if all of these changes were deliberately requested by Rolex or just a random assortment of things that happened to be on a dial when it was supplied to Rolex. Bob voiced an opinion that Rolex deliberately made all the small changes to the watch. But is it not possible that this is just a product of small variances that we all love in vintage Rolexes due to variances from the parts suppliers Rolex used to use? I'm not trying to downplay the significance of the watch or its beauty, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts and this take on things. I personally love it, and if I won the Powerball, I would be sending you a wire. Well, let's hope you win the Powerball first and foremost. But second of all, I will agree and disagree with you. In fact, I, I can't even call it that. I'm going to tell you I don't know, right? You know how I always talk about how many watches were produced, how many variations of this were made, how many are going to be produced, and so on and so forth. And I tell you that anybody that tells you that is a liar because nobody really knows that. I think this is the same case here. And I would not be surprised that what you said is the case. Hey, listen, the supplier decided to make a few different dials, and this is what Rolex got. Now, it's highly unlikely if you think about it. If you are a supplier of Rolex and you're making these dials and you have such a humongous client as Rolex, which even back then, Rolex was a huge deal to have as a client, I highly doubt you would actually make a batch of, let's say, a thousand dials and make 10 of them slightly different and say, oh, try these. What could happen is that these could be in sample dials. So let's say if Rolex reached out to a dial maker and said, hey, make me these dials. And let's say they originally made you know, five different variations, five or 10 of each, right? And they presented it to Rolex and then Rolex said, okay, well, we're not going to throw these dials out. We're going to put them into watches, and then we're going to go with this one. So that now you're going to have so many of these dials and only a few of these, right? That could be the case as well. But again, this is just my opinion and opinion of anyone else. Even Rolex themselves doesn't know, doesn't know that information. How about that? If you reached out to Rolex with that dial, they really couldn't tell you a whole lot. The only thing they'll tell you is, yes, this is an authentic Rolex dial. That's about the extent of information you're going to receive for the most part. A lot of the guys that know this information are actually guys outside of Rolex, believe it or not, right? His, historian type guys, these, these super geeky vintage guys, right? Or guys like Bob Marin, for example. Yeah, I just called you a geek, Bobby, if you're watching, sorry. But anyway, yes, what you said is definitely a possibility. Most likely, it is something that came out of a sample lot with various dials, because I highly doubt that once something becomes an actual order that any supplier, be it a dial supplier, a hand supplier, whatever else, would go outside of the specs of that order, so to speak. It's like if you're a car dealer and you go out there and you order 100 cars, 10 in each color, all of a sudden you get an 11th color that you didn't order. That probably wouldn't fly with any company that places any order to an outside vendor. So. Hope that somewhat helps. Hey Roman, I've seen most of your videos so far, it's still going. I think I have a rare question for you when it comes to Rolex. Try me as they say, right? Bring it. When someone who owns a Rolex that still has the stickers on the case back, what would be the best way to maintain that in your opinion? I have a Rolex that has a sticker and I thought of putting a clear kind of sticker over, but I was concerned that the, that actually would damage the sticker. I took the watch for service to Rolex and had them give me a new back, leaving the original back as is. That cost more, but it gave me a peace of mind. But was this overkill? Could this help keep the value. Is there a better option? Or this is so minor that when it comes to Rolex, do what you like. Thanks in advance for the content each week. Alan. Well, Alan, I'll tell you, yes, it is a little too much. Oftentimes you see people getting extra back, let's say when they want to get something engraved in the back of the Rolex, keeping the original back, because engraving usually takes away from the value. Having the original sticker in the back, especially when you talk about older Rolexes, the only way that sticker stays intact is if you never wear the watch. If you wear the watch, 
that sticker will tend to rub off after a while, and then the edges will start to peel off and so on and so forth. The only way to keep it true is if you never wear the watch. Then the watch stays NOS. Putting a protective clear sticker on the back of it is only gonna damage the sticker when you go to take that clear plastic off. Again, the only way to do that is to actually try to keep the watch NOS as true as it is. And even if you manage to save the sticker somehow in, in an extra back, at the end of the day, you're still going to have a pre-owned watch. Is it going to be a little bit more appealing to a collector to see, hey, here's an original back with this original sticker intact? Yes, it will add a little bit of value, but not to an extent to where you have to go through all this trouble and spend all this extra money to buy yourself an extra back. If you're looking to keep a Rolex in its original condition, but let's say you find yourself an NOS or a new old stock Rolex that has the original sticker in the back, you put it in the safe and you forget about it and just don't wear it. That's really the best way to go about it. That's the best I can, uh, I can advise on this one. And again, getting the extra back is a bit of an overkill. But in the very least, now you can engrave this watch if you decide to pass it down to someone without having to worry of ruining the original back that the watch came with. Hope that answers your question. Next question comes from Chris from Cyprus. Hey Roman, congratulations on your great content and keep up the good work. I would like to have your opinion on why HMOs are not that popular on the market, as in my opinion, they have the nicest dials and also do you see them becoming more popular in the coming years? HMOs is independent, right? And in general, it's not, it has nothing to do with HMOs or independent watchmakers are not mainstream. That's a whole allure about them. Not a whole lot of money goes into marketing behind these brands. They're keeping a sort of a lower profile Low cost bases, they make a small amount of watches, making them more exclusive. They all kind of have their own thing, like H. Moser and their beautiful dials, which, in which I will agree. Do I see them becoming more popular in the years? I've said it multiple times before when I've talked about guys like Urberg, when I talked about guys like MBNF and so on and so forth. I think these are our future collectibles 30, 40, 50 years from now. Those, a lot of those MBNF and Urbergs and maybe H. Mosers and a lot of the other independents that have a very low production numbers, those are gonna be your Paul Newman Dintonas in auctions probably 30 to 40 years from now, but I may be wrong. Hopefully I'm still around to see if that happens, but it's just my opinion, nothing more. Also, what is your opinion on new Paddock 6301P001? I believe it's a great masterpiece, but aesthetically it could have been given a bit more care in the comparison to say the 5316 piece. So the Grand and Petite Sonnerie from Paddock, it's meant to be what it is meant to be. It's meant to be what I would call a billionaire's watch, right? It's very discreet. Nobody really knows you have a ton of money on your wrist. Nobody really understands how complicated a Grand and Petite Sonnerie is, right? And I did a video with a Grand and Petite Sonnerie, Ian linked that below, not a Paddock, I think it was an AP. But it doesn't really matter, the concept behind it is the same. It's a very complex watch to make for those that know no kind of thing. This is for someone that has all the money in the world but doesn't choose to show it. If you go into an affluent area, um, let's say like Sunny Isles in Florida, right? The America's French Riviera, right? You have all these fancy buildings there, like the Porsche building, Turnberry Colonies, and all these fancy names and buildings, right, that you have sort of all over the country and sometimes all over the world. And if you walk from building to building, you can sort of compare Patek Philippe Grand Sonnerie to a a very exclusive building like Turnberry Colony, right? If you walk up to Turnberry Colony, you're not gonna see a bunch of Phantoms or Rolls Royces or Ferraris and things like that parked in the front. You walk up to a place like Aqualina, which is a hotel resort and slash residence, you're gonna see up 20 Phantoms lined up in the front. And that's the difference between a paddock and some of the other grand complications, let's say, like from Jacob, right? The Astronomia Turbion, very complicated piece. But yet, that's a piece where you wanna show off, where this is a piece where you don't wanna show off. The very first billionaire watch out, and I, I dubbed these a billionaire watch, I don't know if that's a terminology I came up with, maybe, but the very first billionaire watch that I've sold was a Paddock 3939, and Ian, if you can throw one up on the screen in whichever variation, it's this dinky little 36 millimeter watch, 
It's a minute repeated tourbillon. Of course, Patek never shows their tourbillons. They're always in the back and hidden, right? So the same was the case with this watch. You had the little lever on the side that, you know, could tell potentially someone that's actually a minute repeater. Nobody in the world knew that that was a half a million dollar watch. I actually sold two of them at the same time to two friends. One of them was on a Forbes list, right? So this is for that conservative billionaire or multimillionaire that wants a complicated watch, that wants to appreciate the complication of the watch, but he's not looking to show off a crystal Richard Mille Tourbillon per se, right? And that's really the difference between that one. And as far as the 5316, well, the 5316 has a lot more to show. It's a Tourbillon, it's a minute repeater, it's a perpetual calendar. So there's a lot more to fit onto the face of the watch because look, with the Grand and Petite Sonnerie, there's no subdials, there's no functionality to show. It's all about what you hear, right? You have to fit the month, you have to fit the date, you have to fit, fit the moon phase, you have to have the words Tourbillon on there. In the very least to have some sort of an indication that this is a Tourbillon. And of course, the minute repeater lever on the left. So it's kind of very difficult to compare the two. The only thing that could have done on the 6301 to embellish it is maybe to engrave the case or give it a fancy enamel dial, right? Which is something I wouldn't put past them to do in the future in some sort of a very limited run or some sort of a custom order for a special client. But other than that, for what that watch is, it's absolutely perfect. It's a plain Jane conservative billionaire watch is what that watch is all about. Hope that answers your question. Here's a good one from Julian. Uh, looks like Julian is from Germany. Guten Tag, we can do. I actually took German briefly in high school. That's probably the extent of my German. That's about all I know. I hope that impressed you. No. I see you're wearing a blue sky dweller in many videos. Ta-da. Yeah, I think you mentioned having one with a Mon case back, right? This watch is my absolute grail, and I hope to get one from my AD soon. Where you will see this watch in the future? Will it still be so hot on the market and will continue to be delivered so scarce? I've heard that Rolex only allows the dials to be swapped from black to white and vice versa, but never to blue. Has there been such a restriction with the dials on other watches in the past? Well, first of all, about the restrictions, there is no restrictions on swapping dials. I don't know where you heard that. There are no you can go and swap dial on pretty much any Rolex, and you don't have to go to Rolex to do that. There's plenty of guys out there that have plenty of dials that you can go out and swap. Maybe Rolex won't want to do it, because if this watch originally came with a white dial, maybe they may not want to change to blue, but that's not something that I heard, so I neither can deny or confirm. Uh, as far as his being a collectible in the future, I talked about the Skydweller before. Now, never mind the Rolex market today, everything is crazy, everything is over list. But if you go back a little bit, Skydweller first came out, it was the very first watch that managed to do what the Rolex Daytona has done, and that is to trade over list and continue trading over list. My thought process when the Skydweller first came out, that is, look, the same thing, comes out of the gate high, new watch, everybody wants it, enough of them hit the market, the demand comes down a bit, and it goes back to regular, and Daytona wins again, but yet, that's not what happened, and the Skydweller is still going over list. It also goes back to a question I answered in the past where I said, you know, there's a disorder about blue dials. Blue dials are the collectible dials. And that happened in the last few years, and all of a sudden, anything that has a blue dial, all of a sudden, is more valuable than what, what doesn't have a blue dial. It's not like they made less blue dials than they did black dials and white dials. There's, there's more demand for blue dials versus the other ones. So it's not like they're limiting production to blue dials versus white dials and black dials. Again, this is what common sense tells me. It's just that demand is so much higher for the blue because now all of a sudden, there's this aura about Blue dial being the limited dial, blue dial being the more desirable dial. It goes across AP, it goes across Paddock, it goes across other brands. Anything that has a blue dial all of a sudden is valued more. And that's due to public demand that created this big perception. What I think of this watch in the future, I think it's going to do what it's always going to do. I think it's going to be that second Daytona. I can't be certain about the future of the GMTs and the Submariners and all those things that are trading over list today. But I can 
certainly go out on a limb and say that yes, the Rolex Sky Dweller is going to be, especially with the blue dollar, is going to be that one watch that's going to be much like the Daytona. I'm very confident saying that Daytona will never trade on their list, and I can just as, with as much confidence say now that the Sky Dweller is going to have the same fate. So uh, if your AD gets one, hopefully you get it because yes, once you do get that at MSRP, you will be a winner right at the gate in the fall as long as you keep that watch. Hope that answers your question. I'm gonna take one more from Steve. Steve writes, hey Roman, thanks for the fantastic content. I've been learning a lot and developing many interests in this hobby. I especially enjoy the trade show vlogs. Uh, thank you, Steve, and I miss the trade show vlogs. I miss trade shows, in fact. Uh, looks like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, they just announced that they Canceled the Miami Antique Show, the big antique show. I usually do a lot for that one, but they moved it to February. So hopefully it will stay that way and I'll actually get out there and do another trade show vlog for you guys. Because I actually miss doing that, not just the vlogs, but actually going and traveling and dealing with people face to face. It's a very personable business. It is in many ways a handshake business. Yeah. And referrals and reputations are important. But if you're doing business with a stranger who has never been vouched for by anyone, are there certain precautionary steps you may take? For example, when buying for the first time, would you ever open a closed case back to inspect the movement or bring a loop, a UV light to examine the dial, loom, etc.? Would there be any sellers who might take offense to this or not want to bother with it? Yes and no. And this is actually a great question. I love this question. So let's talk about would I ever open up a closed case back to inspect the movement or bring a loop, UV light to examine the dial, loom, etc.? Depends on the watch I'm dealing with and depends on who I'm dealing with. If it's a complete stranger that comes to me and wants to sell me a vintage timepiece, I will open the case back. I will take a UV light to check the loom. I will take a loop and examine the watch in its entirety. I will ask where the watch came from. Is there a box and papers? And I will still ask, hey, is there anyone in the industry that you might know? My rule of thumb is very, very simple. When in doubt, just don't do the deal. Not all profits are good profits, right? In the beginning, when you're young and you're hungry, you tend to chase these deals. Some, some of these deals may be too good to be true and you end up getting burned. Or maybe they're not too good to be true and they seem all legit and then you still end up getting burned by taking unnecessary risk. And believe me, I burn myself plenty of times. <laughs> Well, I ended up with stuff that I overpaid for because the watch was not presented as it should be because not everybody in this world is honest, right? And in my industry, believe me, there's plenty of guys out there with whom you have to wear bulletproof underwear because they will try to get one by you. So there's absolutely nothing wrong to do that. Now, when it comes to modern watches, if you have a brand spanking your Rolex that you bring into my table with card and everything else, I'm not going to open up the case back, right? I have enough knowledge to look at that Rolex to see if it's fake or not. It's usually when it comes to older vintage pieces where that stuff becomes important, right? And if anybody brings you an old vintage Rolex and you want to pop off the case back to look at the movement, loop it, check the loom, whatever you want to do, and they get offended by that or they don't let you do that, then tell them thank you, then this watch is not for me and nobody should take offense. The only person that would take offense is if somebody's trying to pull a fast one on you. If I'm at a trade show, somebody comes to me and, and takes a brand spanking new watch, let's say you come to my booth, right? And you're somebody that I have never met and you have never met me. Now, when you come to my booth at a trade show, that's whether I'm in Hong Kong, in New York, or wherever I'm at, you usually look at an island, right? We build a tiny little store because we bring so much stuff with us, right? So odds are, when you first walk up to my booth, you'll probably recognize that maybe I'm not a fly-by operation, but a decent-sized dealer just based on the amount of merchandise that I have in the showcase. But even past that, you pick up a brand spanking new watch, and you tell me, how do I know this is real? I may not take offense to that, but I may be surprised and, and say something to you like, you sh Why? Because if you're someone that comes to a trade show or a professional environment where there's a bunch of dealers out there and you walk up to a showcase of a dealer, pick up a brand spanking new watch and ask him, how do I know this is real? You shouldn't be at that show. Because the mere fact that you walked into the show that's filled with a bunch of professionals, those questions could get offensive. At the same token, I don't mind you taking a brand new watch and looping it. 
Why? I'll explain. Even though I tell you the watch is brand new, any brand new watch can have a scuff, can have a mark, can have all kinds of handling marks on it because we travel with the stuff. It travels from one country to another, gets banged up sometimes. Asia is a, is a country where pretty much every, everybody that walks up to my showcase will loop my watches inside and out, whether it's brand new or not, because the type of clientele that, that's there is very, very anal. In fact, when we sell Rolexes to Asia, they even ask, if it's a brand new Rolex, not only do they want to know if it has stickers or not, they want to know when, what month the card is dated, and they want to know if there was a link adjust. And by link adjust, I mean a lot of times when people go to an authorized dealer, buy a watch, they'll adjust the link right there on the spot. It's sort of like a requirement, thinking it's going to stop them from reselling it, and they'll still resell it to a guy like me. And I have to tell my Asian dealers, hey, this is the watch, no stickers, brand new, card is dated this month of this year, and it had a link adjust. Because you can tell when a link is adjusted. If you loop a watch and you look at the screws, you, no matter how good a person is that's adjusting that link, you can still, if you look carefully enough, tell that, A, a screw has been taken out. Which, to most, is not going to be a big deal. People will understand that, A, a link was taken out. It's still a brand new watch, right? But for some, it makes a difference. It really depends on where you are. But for the most part, if you're out and about somewhere and you feel uncomfortable and you want to check the watch inside and out, using a loop, a UV light, or whatever else it might be, don't be afraid to ask, especially when it comes to vintage timepieces. Hope that helps. And guys, this is it for me for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you're not a subscriber to my channel, and hit the share button. This is what helps my channel grow, and I'll see you guys. Oh, wait. Email me new questions, RomanSharp at LuxuryBazaar.com, and I'll see you guys next Tuesday. <laughs>